Well, I want to begin this message by reading you a story, and actually, it's more of a folk song than a story, it's, but it's an ancient folk song, and so I don't have the music, I don't think it exists anymore. It's a folk song that's actually written by God himself. I bet you didn't know that God was like Bob Dylan and he's a folk singer, but he is. Uh, in fact, God composed this little ditty that I'm going to read about 700 years before Jesus of Nazareth was born, and he, he gave it to Isaiah the prophet to perform it and to write it down. Now, before we get into this folk song, let's just imagine the setting for a minute. I'm thinking maybe uh, out around a campfire at night under the stars somewhere. Isaiah is there with the people of Israel. Uh, the Israelites, right, they have been rescued by Yahweh, by God. He rescued them out of Egypt. He blessed them with his presence. He promised them the good land, but they were rebellious. And I'm not talking about the mischievous, petty crime kind of rebellious, but sacrificing human beings to foreign gods rebellious. The abuse and neglect of widows and orphans rebellious. The kind of rebellion that was considered adultery against God. Idolatry. And Isaiah was God's prophet. He was like a thorn in their sides, always on their case, always causing them and calling them Come back to your relationship, your first love. Come back to worship God and God alone. He kept telling them to repent from their idolatry. Well, the people, frankly, were sick of Isaiah because they liked their idolatry and they liked the other nations that they were cavorting with. And so they were so sick of him with his message. But now he's inviting them to a song, maybe around a fire on some evening. He says, gather around now, I want to sing a song to you about a beloved friend of mine who had a vineyard. The crowds, I'm guessing, are saying, what else are we going to do tonight? There's no cable TV out here. Sure, we'll listen to a song. Verse 1 starts, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted the choicest vines. He built a watchtower on it and cut out a wine press as well. But he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. The crowds rumble. The people are thinking, that's not cool. After all that work, that vineyard should have produced. But they don't have time to reflect because verse 2 started coming out of Isaiah's mouth. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Oh, the songwriter is speaking about his own personal experience. This is personal. What a great song. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Cut it down, yells the crowd. Burn it! Plant a new vineyard! Now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. At this point, I'm imagining that the crowds are cheering. Maybe a shepherd with a belly full of wine yells, That'll teach that ungrateful vineyard. Isaiah puts down his instrument. Maybe not a guitar, maybe a lyre or something like that. He's got their attention. He's even got their agreement through the folk song. That the vineyard is in the wrong, that the vine grower is in the right. The people are on the side of the vine grower. And I imagine that he looks at this crowd with a mix of compassion and fire in his eyes. 
And he says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, and he found bloodshed. For righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Up until the time Isaiah performed this folk song of God, he had been telling the people of God directly, in no uncertain terms, over and over again, you guys have gotten off the track. I'm calling you to repentance. I am warning you that God does not care about your festivals and your worship because I don't care what you do on Sabbath. If the other six days of the week you are neglecting the poor, you're going after idols. That's not what it's about. He warned them that if they went after idols, after statuettes, that they would become like those idols. What is, a, what is a statue? It has eyes, sure, but it can't really see. And he says, you will have eyes, but they will cease to see. You will have ears, but you won't be able to hear. You'll have a tongue, but it will be mute. You get the point. He keeps going on with this litany. And after this folk song in Isaiah 5, we run into Isaiah 6, where Isaiah himself receives an oracle from God, a calling from God. And God tells him he's going to preach a message through Isaiah. And because the people have gone after idols and not repented, they would hear this message but not be able to hear. And they would see but not really perceive or comprehend. They would not be able to receive healing from God. They would be utterly destroyed. And just when they thought the destruction was over, even the remnant would be destroyed. Till there was nothing left but a smoldering stump. It's an oracle of judgment. But there is a tiny ray of light. The stump, says Isaiah at the end of chapter 6, would be a seed. And the last time I checked, seeds were meant to grow new life. Well, it really happened. Judgment came and exile, first in the form of the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks. And by the time of Jesus of Nazareth in the first century A.D., the Romans were in charge. And the people in the first century looked forward to God's rescue. The day that God would come, when God would bring His kingdom, that God would sow the seed of the remnant of the good news. Would you stand with me as we read the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, and he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell on the among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The person who has ears, listen! 
And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. You will keep on hearing, but not understand. You will keep on on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and their ears they scarcely hear. And they've closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and they would return and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people desired to see what you see and did not see it. They desired to hear what you hear and did not hear hear it. Father, thank you that even in reading this text in all its complexity, we are blessed that you have given us a view into something that so few got a view of even in the days that you walked in the flesh. Lord, help us to receive the call that you give this crowd to listen. Help us to listen with spiritual ears to see and perceive what it is you're doing in us and around us. Have mercy on our ears, on our eyes, on our heads, on our hearts, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. If you are a guest with us this evening, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew really since January. Uh, and we, it, last week, ended chapter 12, and we are clearly in a new section in Matthew's Gospel now as we enter the parables. This is the first time in Matthew's Gospel that we've encountered parables. And verses 1 and 2 are crucial to perceiving these parables because 1 and 2 tell us that Jesus left the house that he was in back in chapter 12 and he goes out to the sea and he's teaching these people. So what that means is, 1, it's connected to the narrative of chapter 12. And that means, 2, that we can't just read these parables, pick them up and isolate them as some timeless sayings bereft of any context that these are these parables are told in a specific context to the crowds that Jesus was already addressing in chapter 12 that's important because the last thing we we hear Jesus teach the people in chapter 12 is this remember his mother and his brothers come and try and apprehend him try and take custody of him and he takes the moment to teach everyone and he says who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters well I'll tell you who it is Those who do the will of my father, they are my mother and my brothers and my sister. And little quiz, what did we learn is the will of the father last week? Anyone? Yell it out. To listen to the son. To listen to the son. You can read that verbatim in Matthew 17, 5, I believe it is. But the will of the father is that you and I would listen to the son. And of course, in Greek, that word listen means more than just like, here, it means to perceive and obey what the Son is saying. So we're not off the hook just by listening. Okay. 
So we are tied into this will of the Father is to listen to Jesus. And now he's preaching to this mixed crowd. is full of commoners and his disciples of scribes and Pharisees. Uh, they had heard Jesus already proclaim the kingdom of God. They'd heard him teach about life in the kingdom. They've seen him perform works of the kingdom, healings and exorcisms and telling the ocean to be quiet and it works. It's like, who does this kind of stuff? And they'd seen Jesus, witnessed him defend his actions and his words against the Pharisees. Now some of them had been listening to Jesus. They'd been seeking to understand. They were doing the will of the Father. Listening. But... For the doubters, Jesus moves to a different tack. He's going to now teach them in parables. Parables are stories often derived, not always, but often derived from everyday circumstances. And the important thing to know about parables is that they're not allegories. So an allegory is a story where every single detail, every nugget, every grain of sand in the story has some kind of meaning that has nothing to do with the story and not necessarily anything to do with the audience. Right? But parables do not work in that way. Parables, on the other hand, seek to draw the hearer in. So this parable is seeking to draw you in and me in. We're made to relate to certain characters or situations, but only so that we understand the main point. And we'll get to more of this over the weeks to come. But here's the most important thing to know about a parable. Parables were told with the sole purpose. Do you hear that? The sole purpose of a parable is to call forth a response. What that means is that these parables are not there just to tell you something that you didn't know before. The whole purpose of a parable is to make the hearer respond. And let me just give you another little piece to chew on. Even not responding is a response. So you can chew on that throughout the message. There's, there's Jesus on a boat preaching to the people on the shore. Right? There's so many people. He gets into a boat to kind of get some perspective so he can cast his words out a little bit more. But I want to reverse the scene for a minute. Let's stand with the crowds and we're out looking at Jesus. From the crowd's perspective, there is a man in a boat who has been speaking about the kingdom of heaven coming, who has been performing deeds that we expect to see in the kingdom of heaven. He has been teaching with authority like no one we have ever heard. Prophets, teachers, no one has spoken like this guy. And now he's telling a parable about a sower and seeds and soil. Now I want to give a little disclaimer. We are not going to look at the explanation of the parable this Sunday. That's a cliffhanger for next week. We're totally going to get into that section next week. This week we're going to do something different, okay? For now, I want us to think about how this whole message began in the, in the book of Isaiah. And the expectation that one day God would return and do what? Sow seeds of new life. He'd draw a remnant around himself. I mean, if you're in a crowd, you're looking at a guy in a boat who's been proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom, doing deeds of the kingdom, and now he's telling a story about a sower sowing seeds? Something's going on here. He's got my attention if I'm in the crowd. This is all kingdom stuff that we're talking about. This is all God-rescuing type of language. 
At the end of the parable in verse 9, Jesus says what I believe is the point of the message. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And the let them hear thing in Greek is an imperative, it's a command. So better translated, those who have ears, listen. Listen. Jesus' disciples ask him privately, why are you speaking to them in parables? Now his response in the scripture has confused people for generations. Some people have gone so far as to suggest that Jesus is intentionally trying to confuse people as if he's trying to corner them into judgment. And as we'll see, I don't think we can possibly come to that conclusion if you take Isaiah seriously and the whole counsel of scripture seriously. But we're going to get there in a minute. First of all, why parables? I mean, why not? If you've got something to say, Jesus, I mean, it's like miming. Like, I don't get miming. Like, just say it. Uh, if you've if you got something really important to say for the kingdom, why not just give me bullet points, PowerPoint, uh, you know, write it on a scroll or something like that. Well, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but parables are meant to do more than pass information. Bullet points pass information. But parables are intended to make us respond, maybe from the heart, more than the head. Granted, parables are not as clear as plain old teaching. All of you who are teachers in the room, you, you strive to be clear about this stuff, right? You don't try and, and cloud information so the students have a hard time on the test. Uh, if Jesus had only spoken in parables and riddles, you might think that the on, like only certain people who are smart enough or clever enough could follow him. But that is not the case. Take into consideration the Sermon on the Mount. That's about as clear as you're going to get. Just lays it out there like it is. There's no slight of hand or confusion about Jesus' healings or exorcisms. His teachings and his deeds were so clear that people were always in awe and wonder of what he was doing or they were contending with him about what he was doing. The, The last thing you could say about Jesus is that he was being unclear or ambiguous because He either made, like, people completely in awe of what he was doing, or he made a lot of enemies. But nobody was unclear that this guy was teaching certain things and doing certain things. The problem, I think, is that the people, even though Jesus was doing things clearly and teaching things clearly... They were coming to the wrong conclusions about Jesus. So the people who were in awe and wonder... They were trying to make him king. But the kind of king that they had in their own image, the kind of king who would do certain things, like get revenge against Rome and take up arms, the kind of king who would bring Israel into some kind of nationalistic glory. So they were in awe over the things that Jesus was doing, but that's not what Jesus was about. The other people who were, uh, saw controversy in what Jesus was doing They had him pegged as a radical, as a lawbreaker, as a false interpreter of scripture. So Jesus taught in parables to help people think and to process what was really going on. See, with parables, you have to do a little bit of work to get to the truth. But you know how it is, once you figure a puzzle out on your own, or if you ever take a piece of information and they have to teach it to somebody else, you really have to know it. And once you figure it out for yourself, wow, you can own that truth. It's like this. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, Nic- Sorry. What is your name? 
Nicole is your name. That is a very basic question, pretty simple. That's straightforward and clear. Who is Nicole? Okay, I'm not... See, I mean, her face went blank. It's like, what do you even say? Think about that. Who are you? If you had to describe your deepest longings, all of your history, who are you? Have you ever seen the movie Flight with Denzel Washington? That last line at the end when his son comes to interview him, who are you? And he just, that's a great question, because he's redefining who he is at that point in the film. Who are you makes you wrestle with some things, it makes you think through some things, and also, you may not like what you hear. It makes you wrestle with, am I, I haven't even thought about who I am recently, but maybe I don't like everything about me. Right? It makes you process. Here's another one. Raise your hand if you are a, a disciple of Jesus. Okay. Eric is a disciple of Jesus. That's clear cut. Eric, what is a disciple of Jesus? If, if, if you're listening to this on MP3, his face is just stunned right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, what is a disciple of Jesus? And then when you say those things out loud, it makes you ponder... Am I really a disciple of Jesus? Am I really doing the things that I believe about what a disciple of Jesus is? Parables are a bit like the second questions I just asked you. They make you think. They make you process. Parables, second thing that they do is they tell it slant. What I mean is they can get across to a person who already has their heart and their mind closed to your bullet point explanation of things. So think about God's folk song, for example, that we looked at in Isaiah 5. Uh, Isaiah had been over and over again directly telling people, you need to repent, you're in sin here, you're going after idols. They're like, blah, 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 Isaiah, we've heard it over and over again. Our hearts and our minds are closed to your stupid message. But when he tells them a song, he draws people in. It's almost a parable in a poetic form. And in the end, what happens? They actually condemn themselves. They side with the vine dresser and not the vine. So parables make you think. Parables can open closed minds and hearts. And parables can make you squirm. They reveal who you really are. In the parable of the soils that we just read, the good listener is probably asking themselves, huh, I wonder what soil I am. And then if you can identify with one of the soils, why am I like that? What would I have to do or be or change to be good soil? Am I receptive to the Word of God? That's what a parable does. It can make you squirm a little bit. And finally, parables make us respond. They can offer mercy... I'm talking about Jesus' parables. They can offer mercy or they can offer judgment. There are consequences. Don't kid yourself, and you can leave now. There are consequences whenever you hear the word of God proclaimed. Whether it's through a prophet or a parable or a preacher or reading the Bible, you have two responses available to you and one of two consequences. First, you can listen which means to seek understanding and to act on that understanding. If you listen, you're on the path to life. The consequence is fruitfulness. And that's another way of saying 
on the road to salvation. The second option is you can hear but not listen. You can read but not understand, or you can understand even, and just plain not obey. And the consequence of doing that too often is that you begin to build a callus on your heart. You begin to get hard-heartedness, deaf ears, blind eyes. And you become dull to the point where you cannot see or understand. And, of course, that road leads to death. The irony in Isaiah 6, and I... Maybe I shouldn't even say irony. I think the tragedy in Isaiah 6, which Jesus quotes here in our passage, is that the punishment so closely fits the crime. The people were intentionally hardened towards the message of God because they were practicing idolatry. Remember God's warning. Uh, Off the top of my head, Psalm 115. If you go after these idols, you're going to become dull like they are. You won't be able to see or hear or perceive or receive what I have for you. You won't be able to receive my healing. So when judgment came to the people, it came in the form of hardened hearts and blind eyes and deaf ears. And eventually, the judgment was death by God's starvation. Now, The people of God in Jesus' day believed themselves to be the chosen remnant. All we have to do is wait for God to come back and get this thing going again. They believed that they were the seed, the stump that was left over. They viewed themselves as inherently in the God club, in the God family with the direct line speed dial to God. And Jesus came and said, yes, God has favored you. Yes, he loves the socks off of you. Yes, he has come to rescue you. But it's not going to look exactly how you expect. And everyone who wants the rescue of God must listen to me. Must repent. If you don't, you'll be judged just like your ancestors You'll receive a sentence of blindness and deafness and hardness of heart toward the rescuing ways of God. I think think we can see that the parables of Jesus are not primarily intended to confuse. They're intended to bring people to a decision. If you're waffling about Jesus, the the, the parables will send you cascading in one of two directions. They're not the types of stories that allow you to waffle in the middle. But if the parables are not primarily intended as judgment, why then do the disciples seem to get preferential treatment? Why do they get the parables explained to them? As the text says, uh, those who have get more revelation. Uh, Those who do not have get even what little shred they had taken away. I want to shed a little insight into that saying. First of all, that's very common in uh, Uh, not prophetic literature, but in the Proverbs. And the idea is this. The disciples and those who are had their hearts open to Jesus, they were the listeners. No, they did not fully grasp who he was yet. Nobody would until after the resurrection. But they left everything they had to follow him based on what they knew at the time. They had little faith, and they were given more. Jesus taught in the open. He performed his mighty deeds in public. Those who didn't believe had really no excuse. They were willing to fully follow him to uh, to receive more, but they didn't. 
Eugene Peterson's paraphrase says it well. The disciples came up and asked, Why do you tell stories? He replied, You've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Listen now. Whenever someone has a ready heart, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why they tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. I don't want Isaiah's forecast to be repeated over again. Your ears are open, but don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but they don't see a thing. The people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen and they they screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look so they don't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. But you have God-blessed eyes to see and God-blessed ears to hear. A lot of people, prophets and humble believers among them, would have given anything to see what you're seeing and to hear what you're hearing. They never had the chance. So brothers and sisters of Lettered Street's Covenant Church, are we listening? You know, we, we've been reading this story together as unattached observers. We're listening to a parable. We're wondering, will, will the crowds get it? We may feel a little bit envious, like, wow, they got to hang out with Jesus in the flesh. Uh, I wish I had that experience. Their faith gave them understanding. Their eyes and their ears have been blessed. The prophets and all these godly people of old wished they had what the disciples had and they didn't have it. I want you to see that in all of this, you and I are the truly blessed ones. We're even more blessed than those original disciples. By having this text... The scriptures that we read, that you probably have multiple copies of in your home. By having that, we have more revelation, more behind the scenes than the disciples ever had. We're getting the private tutorial from Jesus. And we know what the disciples could have never known at this point in the story. That Jesus himself was the stump. That Jesus himself is the seed. He is the remnant. He's sowing the good news that he is the way to eternal life. The disciples, the disciples could not have known that Jesus would die for us in our unbelief. That Jesus would take on our sin and the consequences of rebellion on himself. They could not have known at that point that Jesus would be resurrected from the dead and reign currently over his church. They could not have experienced the, pow- the power of the Holy Spirit distributed to people like you and I experience who have believed and been baptized. Are we listening? It's not too late to start listening. It's not too late to understand. This passage is not a, all right, church, pull up uh, your life by your bootstraps, get to it, intend your ears more uh, to, to be more serious about listening. It's not about primarily what you and I have to do. It's about listening to the good news about what has already been done. Jesus came in the flesh. He died for our sin. He has been raised. He has defeated Satan and death itself. He now rules as king and calls us to follow. 
Are you listening to that? How do you respond? Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and faithfulness. Thank you for your word that is nothing short than the seed that brings life. I pray that the seed of your life-giving word would fall upon good soil. That by your grace you would shake us from our stupor, from our apathy, from any part of us that thinks we have already heard once and we've heard well enough. Help us, Lord, to listen and to receive the good news of your rescue. Help us to submit ourselves to your lordship. To not only declare you as king with our mouths, but with our lives as well. Amen.